45. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Moyes Podcast, episode 45. And as per the title suggesting, this is it. No, it's not the end of the podcast. But a lot of people focus heavily on their journeys, and rightly so. They focused heavily on their approach, what they needed to do, the fat they wanted to lose, all of that jazz, the exercise, the activity, the calories, the foods, the tracking, all of that. But then what happens when it's done? What happens at the end of the journey? What happens with happily ever after? What happens with life after the work, the arduous, the deficit? Well, that's what this particular podcast is all about. Because what happens after fat loss? And it's probably not going to be the answer that you want to hear. It's probably not going to be the answer that you're looking for. The grandiose congratulations, life will be normal. You'll never have to worry about food again. You'll never have to worry about calories again. Good news, all the exercise you were doing, you don't have to do that anymore. No, unfortunately, I wish, I really do. I wish I could jump on a podcast and tell you that life will forever be a wonderful zone of plentiful calories and sedentary lifestyle while some kind of you know, topless man or woman feeds you grapes. But unfortunately, we can't live like gods and kings for the rest of our days. Unfortunately, calories don't just stop mattering once you've reduced a certain amount of body fat. Because once you've done the deficit, once you've done the fat loss, unfortunately, only half the journey is done. There's a reason they call it weight management. And it's because you need to continue to manage what you're doing. You need to continue to manage your weight and be mindful and conscious of what you're up to. Now, of course, deficits by nature aren't sustainable. And some of the methods that you took to achieve that deficit aren't sustainable. You know, I'm not expecting someone to track on my fitness pal or NutriCheck for the rest of their life because that's just not realistic. However, to ensure that we don't go backwards, considering the fact that we've been there before and we know the behaviors that led to that point, we need to make sure that we are vigilant. And so, I hate to tell you, but maintenance is hard. It doesn't have to be. With the right habit formation, with the right attitude, with the right mindset going into it, it doesn't have to be difficult. But there's a reason why we've spent essentially 44 podcasts, basically, bar the story time, talking about sustainability. This is why I do what I do and take the approach that I take. This is why I'm not an advocate for dieting or for shakes or any of that bollocks because they don't work in the long term. And when you reach this point, this is when the long term really matters. Sure, throughout the meat of your deficit, the meat of your journey, there's going to be certain times where you don't give a flying fuck if what you do is sustainable or not. But trust me, when the goal is done, when the body fat is reduced, when you're at the physique, the health, and the you know the the goal that you wanted to achieve, that's when you're really going to give a shit about keeping hold of all of that work. That's when you're really going to care about, fuck, I really don't want to do that journey again. So listen up, because the next half an hour or so is going to be a delve into that zone. Because first and foremost, some cognitive restraint is still going to be needed in some form. Now, this can be the continuation of tracking, the continuation of you know using things like this. You're going to continue to need to self-monitor in certain ways. 
Now, self-monitoring comes in two different forms. First and foremost, you, there's the obvious self-monitoring of weighing yourself or doing measurements. We like to think that, you know, we won't need these these measures in the future, but let's not beat around the bush. If you've achieved your goal weight, then reviewing your physique in the mirror, reviewing your weight, reviewing your measurements, reviewing how clothes are fitting, all of these things will still apply once you've achieved your goal. Because, of course, God forbid anything starts to slip backwards, you're going to want to be vigilant. You're going to want to be aware as soon as possible if there's a problem. And so all of these measures, though maybe not used as frequently, are still going to need to be used life or in life after the deficit. There's got to be self-monitoring from that perspective to catch a problem early. Another way in which people can catch problems early is by con the continuation of MyFitnessPal or calorie tracking apps. Now, I'm not talking about being as ruthless as you were during the deficit because the beautiful thing about maintenance is you get more calories. There's more wiggle room. There's going to be undulations in your weight. There always will be because that's how weight, in capitals, works. And with regards to your body fat, yeah, things are going to undulate slightly. And this is why I would actively say to you to make sure that you always have a range rather than a specific number, not just with your weight, but also a little bit of wiggle room as far as your measurements go too. That way, if you start to get to the upper end of your weight or measurement range, you can then do something about it. If you start to get to the lower end, you can also do the same thing. But it's important that we understand that a range is far more healthy and important than having a specific number. Otherwise, you're going to be disappointed, be it the afternoon of achieving of the goal, the goal, because you know you could weigh in an hour after achieving it and be outside of the weight that you wanted to be. This is why I actively always tell my clients, don't have a weight goal, have a weight range goal or a physique goal. Because things do change. Your body is a living organism. Things are constantly changing with digestion, body composition, etc. But it's avoiding the huge changes, the huge fluctuations. So some form of self-monitoring still needed. And some form of self-monitoring, like I said, potentially from a caloric perspective too. Now, I'm not talking about using my fitness pal for the rest of your life, but I'm definitely saying about keeping it on your phone. And every now and then, just to tighten up your intuition you know, because let's face it, when you ditch the usage of these apps, you are going to be switching over to a principle known as intuitive eating, where you're essentially applying everything that MyFitnessPal or NutriCheck have taught you in a way which is digestible, in a way which is realistic in your day-to-day -day life. You're not going to be adhering to a linear form of calories. If anything, you're not going to be necessarily calorie counting or tracking, but you're going to be mindful. You're going to be mindful of the calories you're consuming, mindful of making you know, sensible choices the majority of the time. And then you're going to enjoy stuff every now and then, as opposed to pre-diet when you were enjoying stuff most of the time and making sensible choices every now and then. So use MyFitnessPal and apps like that. Use them sparingly. If you find that things are getting a little bit out of control, perhaps your other form of self-monitoring, checking your weight measurements, etc. Perhaps you're reaching the upper echelon of your range. And so that's where it might be a good idea just to bring my fitness pal back in again to be vigilant, to be aware. Ah, actually, yep, yeah, you know what? My calories have slipped a little bit. And so, yeah, this is what the future is going to look like. We don't want to, you know, we want to be accepting of fluctuations, but we want to be vigilant for bigger changes. And exercise is obviously a given. We need to make sure that the activity that you did previously with the steps, the lifestyle, the sustainable changes you made to your daily and weekly activity have actually been sustained. 
and if things change, that we are potentially just vigilant to adapt to other areas of our life. But also when it comes to exercise, exercise does a brilliant job of making you mindful. Granted, it's not particularly powerful as a form of fat loss. However, as a form of keeping you focused, it's great. And so I would say that when it comes to maintenance, keeping some form of exercise in your life is important. Now, of course, you know, that could be a walk, that could be running, that could be resistance training, but just some form of exercise is going to keep your mind on looking after yourself and being aware of yourself. Hell, everything I've spoken about in the last 44 episodes has been about self-reflection, and self-reflection isn't just a mental exercise, it's a physical one too. Self-reflection of what your body is doing at that moment in time, and if you need to do anything to combat it. And the point that usually comes in around this time is motivation. Or my motivation when I was tracking, exercising, etc. before was to reduce the body fat to get to this goal. What's my motivation now? Well, I suppose easy way to kind of break that down is let's look at the word motivation to begin with. Motivation is derived from the word motive. And we tend to think of motives in like crime dramas or you know murders, you know, what was their motive? What was the reason they had to want to kill that person? And so when we think of your diet, what was the reason you had to do the things you needed to do? It was because, of course, you wanted to achieve the result you've got. So what's your motivation now? Well, to make sure you haven't got to do that fucking journey again should be top of the list. It should be, well, my motivation, my motive for exercising, my motive for being mindful and being active, my motive is that I don't want to fucking do the journey again. My motive is I want to keep what I've done. I don't want to have to go through this whole fucking thing all over again. So that's where ideally our motive should come from. But I often find, and this is quite a common thing when people get to their target, they get to their goal, they self-sabotage. And this can be mainly due to one of two reasons. The first of which being the typical I've finished my diet mindset. So the one thing I'd actively encourage anybody who is fast approaching their goal to do is to make sure they plan for a few weeks, well, to be fair, no more than a few weeks of a relaxed period. So Potentially a week is a good kind of time frame to work with because it's not too long that it's going to be too sabotaging, but it's not too short that you haven't got it out of your system. Because I don't care who you are, when you get to the end of a calorie deficit with all of the work that you've done, you're going to want to break the rules. You're going to want to go a little bit overboard with what you're doing. And it's important you have the outlet to do that. Hell, the majority of my programs actively encourage my clients to have two, three, even four days of overconsumption to get it out of their system. So they know what it feels like. They no longer feel deprived. It's great for their body. It's great for their hormones, but it's also great for their head. It's great to get it out of the system in a controlled way. So I tend to treat it as a, a prolonged refeed. Now, granted, at the end of a, a calorie deficit, there's a multitude of different psychological pathways you can go down, like reverse dieting. But a good refeed at the end of a diet is always needed because it gives you that ability to release, to go and have the foods that you potentially couldn't fit into your calorie deficit, pizza, etc., uh, but do it in a controlled fashion. So instead of you feeling guilty for suddenly falling off the rails and binging post-diet, you're strategically allowing yourself a large amount of calories to be able to just get it out of your system. 
There afterwards, we put a cap on it, both from a caloric perspective and, of course, from a time frame perspective, so that there afterwards, it's out of our system and we move into the next phase, which is true maintenance where you adjust to your new targets, when obviously we reduce and maybe remove some of the monitoring methods you were using, as previously touched on. But the self-sabotage, that's one area where it comes in, where people don't allow themselves that opportunity. They don't take note of the fact that, I'm sorry, doesn't matter what approach you're taking, it is a form of restriction. Even if you are following the most flexible approach, like flexible dieting, you're still restricting yourself. And so with any kind of form of restriction comes a certain amount of pressure. And so therefore, you need to make sure that you have something thereafter to be able to just have that outlet, that outlet for release, and then you can begin to go about maintenance life. The other way in which it tends to come in is people not thinking about life at maintenance not gradually preparing themselves for it, understanding that they can eat a decent amount of calories, understanding that more calories will be available, understanding and applying the sustainability elements of their activity and making it a lifestyle. A lot of people tend to self-sabotage because they don't fully commit to making it a lifestyle. They still have that dieting mindset where they do things which are unsustainable. So they're doing things purely as a means to an end. You know, I'm going to do my steps, I'm going to do my activity, my exercise, you know, etc. because I want to achieve my fat loss goal. And they have no thought to the fact that going out at five o'clock in the morning for a walk isn't going to be something they're going to do when they're not quite as driven. When they look down and see the body they want to have and it's five o'clock in the morning, they're probably going to stay in bed as opposed to having that drive to get up in the morning. And so this is why it's so important, particularly as we get to the end of a deficit, that we really turn our attention to what does the next five years of life look like for you? What's a reasonable, realistic, plenty of room for being a lazy fuck schedule routine for you to make sure that you can still move enough you still get plenty of calories at maintenance but it's realistic and effective i found most people overestimate the amount of activity they're going to do at maintenance so they say to themselves oh yeah i'll continue my 10,000 steps per day and then funnily enough they achieve their goal and those 10,000 suddenly and very quickly turn to 6,000 now that's absolutely fine if 6,000 is realistic for you as a sustainable average step count no problem at all the problem comes in when you align your maintenance calories with 10,000 steps as opposed to 6,000. So naturally, you find yourself in a slight calorie surplus and the backwards cycle begins. Now, there's a third string to this bow. And it's from a psychological perspective. Because depending on someone's upbringing, they may very well not be used to success. Being at maintenance, the end of their deficit, they may very well be at a point that they never thought they would be at. And so... They're not mentally prepared for the end of the journey. There's also some people that have been in a calorie deficit for so long because either due to adherence issues or purely because of how much they had to lose that they've not really prepared themselves for what happens afterwards. Being in a calorie deficit, even hunger, has become part of their life. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important that we have regular refeed days and regular days of higher calories throughout a deficit, throughout a program, to make sure that we don't lose touch with reality, to make sure we don't lose touch with how many calories are actually realistically, you know, we're able to consume and maintain our weight. 
And I find, to be honest, 9 out of 10 people are shocked by just how many calories they get to keep their weight the same. I often find and often think, to be honest, that if more people knew the amount of calories that they could consume to maintain their weight, that there wouldn't be quite as many weight issues as there is. Because once people have that target in front and you say to people, you know, you can eat this many calories and not gain anything, people start to be a lot more, I suppose, appreciative of how many calories they have and a lot more careful about how they spend them, making much more sensible choices. The problem is, obviously, in my line of work, I tend to pick people up once the damage has been done, both psychologically and physically. Now, going back to a point that I raised earlier, one of the most important things when it comes to your deficit and I suppose the ending of your deficit is to understand that the initial self-control part of it, the willpower part of it, whatever the fuck you wanted to call it, was only actually useful during the formation of the habits with regards being mindful, you know, the things that you're eating, being mindful of how much you're moving. Self-control is not something which is a particularly powerful, or particularly successful thing to rely upon as you get deeper into your deficit and particularly as you get to maintenance. What we need to really focus on throughout the deficit and particularly towards the end is the formation of habits to make your movement, to make exercise, to make being mindful a habit for you. Now, mindful eating, we've touched on a little bit in previous podcasts, but to give you a, a general overview, mindful eating is touching on, a, 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 it's an approach of eating which makes you aware of what you're doing. For example, mindful eating starts with making sensible choices when you go shopping, making sensible choices with your food, which is balanced. I'm not just talking about making healthy choices. I mean, sensible moderation using something like an, an 80-20 split is a good idea. 80-20 not just being with 80% of the healthier foods that are good for you and 20% being whatever the fuck you like, but also an adherence mindset of 80-20, allowing yourself the ability to relax with your approach 20% of the time too. But this also then stems to what you do at home. Mindful eating is being aware of what you're eating, having a structure, but then also having certain arenas where you eat food. Being aware of every mouthful that you have, making sure that you portion your food appropriately. Every piece of food goes on a plate, for example, and you sit at the table to eat it, as opposed to eating on the go. Making sure there's no distractions, so you're not watching TV or you're not on your phone while you're eating. Making sure that when you chew your food, you focus on the textures, the flavors, the feeling of what you're having. And the same thing goes for, you know, you've probably heard of putting your knife and fork down in between mouthfuls. Being aware of every chew and properly pre-digesting your food. You eat with your eyes as well as you do your stomach. And so it's important that we're mindful in that way too. And so this is where habits come in. Being mindful, as I said, of your activity. Not just making it sustainable, of course. But being mindful of moving more throughout the day so that it becomes habitual. So that being sedentary, there's an automatic response to it as opposed to you consciously having to go, come on, you lazy fuck, get up and go and do something. Being active becomes part of your life. Exercise, being in that same bracket, exercising isn't just there as a means to an end. It becomes something that you enjoy, something that you do. And exercise doesn't have to be the regiment of the gym or a specific exercise session. For a lot of people, lifestyle exercise is just going out for bike rides with their kids, going for walks, for example, getting a dog 
There's loads of different things that you can do to incorporate regular exercise into your life. It doesn't have to mean bouncing around your front room or on a Zoom call. Exercise can mean whatever you want it to mean for your life, as long as you're using your body in some way, and as long as it's something that you enjoy. Now, that's not to say that you can't help yourself out around the home as well. Because in the formation of habits, we're also habitual when it comes to the layout of our kitchens and the layout of where food is. Case in point, using certain interventions can be quite powerful. For example, if you've got a certain snack cupboard in your kitchen or a snack drawer, etc., make it less accessible. So rather than it being the easiest drawer to get to, i.e. there's no physical hardship to get to it, put it in the most inconvenient place. There's still a place for it in your kitchen. You still want to allow yourself these foods, but just make it a little bit more difficult to get to them. And particularly if you gained weight by having the snacks in a certain place, then move them. Not only in the early days will that alert you to the fact of, well, hang on a second, you know, you'll go to open a drawer and go, well, this isn't the biscuits, this is knives and forks. It will give you a second to second guess what you're doing, but also it will give you a second to second guess why you moved that cupboard, why you moved that drawer. Now, you can also implement certain interventions when it comes to your routine. Certain good habits like if you work from home, not eating at your desk. Hell, if you work in an office, not eating at your desk. Making sure you have a very specific and formal area for any kind of eating you do. Up at the table, as I touched on earlier with mindful eating, is a great example of that. Every piece of food goes on a plate regardless of what it is. And every piece of food gets eaten at the table regardless of what it is. Now, you could be sat up at that table with a plate eating a full full-on meal like a cottage pie but then you also could be sat up at that table eating a singular biscuit on a plate the fact remains if we associate certain areas with food we're going to be way more successful because we're not going to associate other areas with food on the sofa is a great example of this too as much as it's a habit that a lot of people enjoy if you find that your calories tend to run away with you if you're watching a film in the evening, for example, eating on the sofa, then why not make the sofa a no-go for food? Make it nice and simple. Any food you eat must happen at the dinner table. And so no food gets eaten at the sofa or on, on the sofa. Because, you know, as I touched on earlier, when it comes to mindful eating, we eat with our eyes as well as our stomach. So if we're watching TV, how many times have you been, you know, had a Chinese in front of you, a plate of Chinese, and you've been watching something on the TV, and then all of a sudden you get that eh! As the fork hits the plate and you realize, fuck, I've eaten all that food and I don't remember eating it. We need to be aware of every mouthful and that comes with removing distraction from mealtimes. It's also a lot better for a relationship because it means that whether you're eating with your kids, your partner or both, you've got actually the ability to converse with each other. Your attention isn't diluted and dissolved into a device, be it television, iPad, phone, etc. So mindful eating is a pretty powerful thing to incorporate into your life. But these interventions, as I said, moving cupboards, not allowing food to be in certain places can be pretty damn powerful too to break habits. And this isn't just something that you should start when you get to maintenance. These are things that you should begin applying way before that. Things that you should really begin doing to change your lifestyle. Because lifestyle changes, or at least the terminology, is now associated with 
a, as a bad thing or you're going to have to change your lifestyle and a lot of us will sit there and go oh man i don't want to change my lifestyle i just want to remove some body fat from my stomach i don't want to fucking just overhaul everything that i do or like my life but in actual fact lifestyle changes don't have to be dramatic you want the opportunity to second guess your own behaviors to the point where those behaviors change to go a little bit deeper you want to change the habits that then trigger those behaviors and like i said one of the best ways to do that is to change the environment in which you had the bad habits move biscuits move the food to a different cupboard make it harder to get to and set certain arenas for food so loads and loads of different tips for you in this particular podcast hopefully this has been enjoyable for you informative I try to make sure that the podcasts are nice and varied so you get story time with regards to lessons I've learned and some more details about my past. And of course, you get episodes like this, which are a lot more informative. A, that tends to go with the mood. So depending on what mood I'm in and what I want to record for you guys, but also in what I kind of pick up with feedback from my clients, what's going to be beneficial for them, etc. I'm forever learning as a coach, learning from the feedback that you guys give. So make sure that you continue to send that feedback. As of late, a lot more people have been just dropping a brief message on Instagram or Facebook. Just let me know what they thought of podcasts. And I cannot tell you guys how beneficial it is for me and my growth as not just a coach, but as a broadcaster. Is that what you'd call it? A podcaster? Both? I can't tell you how beneficial that feedback is, both good and bad. Because it helps me grow as a person, helps me know that you guys like what you're listening to. Because, like I said, this podcast is funded by your listens. I don't get paid anything for it. It costs me money. I don't get any kind of, you know, money per listen, etc. That's not what this is about. And I'm certainly not going to start bringing sponsorship deals into the equation. But the way that I keep doing this podcast is by staying enthused and staying focused and enjoy recording it. And I only enjoy recording it if I know that you guys are getting something from it. So do reach out. And when you get a second, just drop me a message. Let me know what you think. But hopefully you enjoyed episode 45. And of course, I will see you on episode 46. But with regards to your life, COVID, everything that's going on in the world, everything that's going on in your own existence, the good, the bad, the ugly, make sure that every decision, every thought process gets run through a particular filter. And that filter is to accept the things that you cannot change. The courage and have the courage to change the things that you can but have the wisdom to know the difference. Folks, I'll see you on the next one. Toodles.